0: Welcome back to a, another episode of Thinking Critically. So, today is going to be a bit different where we have all of the members of the intelligence speculation team. So, we have Garrett, we have Garab, and we have Pat and myself and we're going to discuss outrage culture. What exactly it is, maybe talk about a few examples and the pros and cons of it. So to get started, what we are going to do is we are just going to ask the question, what exactly is outrage culture?
1: So outrage culture uh, to me is this tendency for people to have an emotional response to things that can be mundane that shouldn't require an emotional response or um, just other general things. So for example, why is there a warning for peanut butter on a peanut butter jar? Why can't people use common sense? That might elicit an emotional response from somebody. um, And then the uh, second thing is when outrage is used against us. So our emotions, when we have an emotional response to things that usually will draw our attention to something, and it will bypass our our reasoning. So uh, media knows that this is something that happens, and they use it against us, and uh, that's called outrage porn, where the media will present things in such a way as to produce outrage, and therefore we would form conclusions prematurely or without full thought or without all the information that would be involved uh, or that should be involved. in. Uh, Processing, so.
0: So if you were to, I guess, from what I'm hearing from you, Garrett, uh, so outrage culture in and of itself is just kind of the emotional response, I guess, mm-hmm. and then there is the outrage. I guess you would classify it as outrage porn, which is where this emotional response, where you know that you get from whatever it is that you're focusing on, is then kind of hijacked and weaponized to a degree by the media or whomever has some sort of plan for that particular piece of material that's causing this large emotional response in in people. I don't know, that's kind of what I've got from all that. That's essentially my understanding.
1: The outrage culture is more of a psychological, personal phenomenon, and then uh, the outrage porn industry is when that's used against us on a mass scale, so. um, And uh, yeah, I guess one example would be just with the protests going on, right? So, when the uh, George Floyd protests start, uh, started, there was the uh, term the umbrella man who was at the Auto Zone bashing windows. Um, so, that immediately elicited emotional responses from especially the people who are opposed to the protesters, um, saying that, you know, all these protesters are out, they want a riot, they want free things. And uh, as it turns out, um, they've identified or they believe they've identified that man as a uh, member of a white supremacist group who was out there essentially trying to create that impression to create that emotional response by being viewed um, in that way so that's one yeah. example of where the outrage culture would come in where we're seeing it um, actually it's both the outrage culture is we're seeing it and we're getting mad um, and then the outrage porn is that he did it and he did it with a purpose to make people outrage. So,
2: so it seems like to me that there's a, a, a physiological and psychological phenomenon. I mean, I'm a biologist, so I'm going to look at it like this. But <laughs> that's then being exploited, and it's manifesting in society in a certain way. And then powers or organizations like media outlets have understood that phenomenon and are able to exploit it. The phenomenon, of course, being. If you read a book or consume any form of media and your heart rate stayed completely baseline and you didn't have a surge of uh, of neurotransmitter release, either making you feel really sad or really happy or feel something, if you didn't enlist an emotional response, a lot of people aren't going to consume some media and solely do it for the emotion or for the intelligent or or, or or cognitively speculating the material it's solicit an emotional response even if that's a negative response it's something that we're tied to it's why people are tied to stress why people are tied to anger you know it's it's better than nothing basically it's and it's way better than nothing actually the media has found it and clickbait and and social media obviously have monetized capitalized the system of outrage you know because like it keeps getting us these hits of dopamine and giving us these like this physiological response even if it's a stress response my argue that it's something that people are in our society becoming more and more addicted to you know uh and so that's being capitalized on by the media where it's like look it's really easy when when there's a really tense situation, you know, to do something like what the umbrella man did and, and manipulate that situation and get the coverage and be able to take the narrative, you know, and we can see in today's society people can look at two 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 people can look the exact same events unfold and that's a completely different narratives. Two people can walk away from hearing and both of them think it was a success. The Democrats are like we fucking got them. and the and the Republicans are like, We're exonerated, you know? And it's like, okay. <laughs> so so it's it's about I think I think that's. I think that's what this is kind of a, a bigger testament to. Is like we're humans, and, and we become really reactionary. Like we talked about, we we react to stimuli and stimulus. We don't think about maybe our reactions, you know. And 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 the media and outrage culture is just a byproduct of that. Of how you know uh, people realize it's an easy way to tap in to get our attention and feed off our energy, essentially. Uh, and so in that way, I guess I framed it to be a pretty negative thing, you know, because it's becoming more and more unconscious. We're not, we're not deciding where to focus our energy, you know, and, and we can only change so many things at once. If we're going to flip out about some kid, some famous person's kid that got into college because he paid a bunch of money or the, the aunt thing, you know, who sued her 12 year old, which 12 year old cousin, which wasn't even the story that John Oliver talked about. We're burning that currency that we have, that social currency. We can make a difference if we all, you know, uh, unite and put our energy behind a few things that matter, like the environment or who's leading our country. But if we fucking flip out about everything all the time, then yeah. it's not, you know, we we start to burn that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I I think that it's the emotions, right? You were going back to that, and we are very emotional <clears throat> beings, and we yeah. can it's undeniable. Be... What's that? Oh.
2: That's, that's undeniable. We are yeah.
3: emotional beings. We can't deny that. That's okay. But we're yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're sort of, you know, I don't want to say simplifying the conversation because, you know, the conversation is just starting and whatnot. But this isn't, I mean, this isn't something that we should view as being done to us by, you know, media or, you know, whatever powers may be, politicians or whatever the situation is. Outrage culture has become so pervasive in the age of social media, you know, where we're limited to 140 characters or we're designing posts that are going to get the most shares or going to get the most likes. We've identified, whether this is consciously or subconsciously, certain buzzwords that are going to evoke emotions in people. And, you know, that is really what it fundamentally comes down to, like Garrett and were saying, you know, evoking that psychological emotion or that psychological response. And we've realized, you know, as humans, and this is across all political spectrums, across the world, across, you know, geographic regions, religions, cultures, we've realized that we can, we can elicit these psychological responses by hitting those certain buzzwords. So when we're writing out our tweets, you know, we're very unlikely to say, you know, something like, you know, 600,000 abortions were performed last year. That's just, not some, that's just a fact. That's not something that's eliciting an emotional response. But when you're like six six, 600,000 unborn babies murdered by, by uh, unwanting mothers or something along those right. lines, like that's something that elicits an emotional response. I mean, you've got murder, unborn babies, like all those sorts of things. Um, but it's just, it's just something that even distills down to our conversations that we have in our everyday lives. So we've stopped listening to each other. We've stopped having constructive conversations. And whether that's on the left or it's on the right, if you're on the left, you're going to say, oh, those people are ignorant when they come with you know, right-leaning political views. If they're on the right, they're going to say, oh, those people are naive or they're snowflakes or they're sheep or whatever it may be. And it's completely stifled all civil discourse and all discourse that would lead to us coming to some sort of agreement on how to move forward. And that does like distill back to politics at a higher level. We, that's why we're so gridlocked across the nation because we've become so entrenched and so emotionally resistant to any sort of other opinions that we'd rather be outraged than listen to what anybody has to say. So I guess my whole point is, this isn't something that just happens in the media. This just isn't something that happens in the government or among politicians. This happens in how we interact with each other on a day-to-day basis, whether it be in social media or in person. And it's so pervasive right now that it really you know, demands that we, that we go back, we discuss it and we reevaluate how we're looking at certain situations. Because like Rob said, it's very easy to become outraged, very, very easy to elicit an emotional response and you know have that lead to some sort of action. It's very difficult to sit back, think critically, take in all the evidence, and then sort of go forward with a well developed opinion.
0: Yeah, people people have definitely gotten lazy. I, I would call it lazy thinking. Um and just letting the emotions get the best of them, it seems like. And it has I think that the social media platforms have unfortunately exacerbated this. I mean, I think it was always a problem, um, as you have said, Pat. Uh, we are just emotional beings, right? In general, uh, the emotion centers of our mind can easily hijack our higher order thinking very easily uh, if we're not careful. And yeah. then once our higher order thinking is hijacked by the emotional centers of our mind, it's just game over unless you know how to properly mitigate it.
2: If if, if, I, I would I would reframe that I would say if there isn't coherence and alignment between your emotions I don't think emotions are fundamentally negative things at all I don't think that they're just there to detract from our ability to think critically like I think they can definitely be used to guide us you know like uh, like like certain thoughts feel good certain this is a whole other conversation other thoughts don't feel good. And it's like it's okay to use our emotions in like a, a conducive way, you know. But but of course, when there's not that coherence and there's not that alignment, like we have both, right? We have like we have our emotions and we have our brain. If you want to think of our heart and our brain. Like if you can if you can think of juxtaposing them together, uh, then we can come up with more comprehensive solutions to things. If we if we're compassionate and we're thinking about. Like, well, what's best, you know, because um, as, as Patrick talked about, this is the way we interact with people on a daily basis, you know, and, and we didn't get here overnight, you know, and, and another big thing I want to think about is like John Oliver's bit about bad science, you know, like it's way more catchy to write a headline saying smelling farts cures cancer when, when that, that, was, that kills cancer cells. When that was a ridiculous headline. It, the, the actual bit was from a study that said certain sulfur compounds have shown novel promise in the treatment. It probably meant like using sulfur in vitro, you know. Like it was so far removed. So, so this, this, this was a headline from the '70s, and and it hasn't gotten much better. Scientific reporting and scientific journalism, and and the, and the state it's gotten to, is why we're all doing what we're doing because it's yeah. so fucked, right? It's so bad. It's in such a terrible state, and and people use data and science as a way to manipulate public opinion, and it's and it's ridiculous. Or, or we should have a panel on hydroxychloroquine. Soon. That'll do it. Well, I mean, to
0: go back to your emotions comment, uh, what I was saying is, I mean, I don't think emotions are fundamentally bad or good, but it is a part of who we are, right? Right. And we have to be aware that our, our best decisions comes from the, our higher mind, right? So the neocortex, that's not the emotional center of our brain. And that is, where, that is what we need to engage if we want to make good, dis- good logical choices, Sure. So, if if the emotions are riled up, whether it be, you know, I'm angry or, you know, or on the good end of the spectrum, maybe, you know, I'm aroused, if, you know, whatever, or I'm, I'm jubilous, you know, I'm excited about something, uh, you're not going to be using the parts of your mind that are best suited
2: for Here, uh, rational where old,
0: decision-making. Okay. So, that's, I mean, I suppose that that's what I mean by you... Yeah have but, to watch you have to watch out for but, but emotions John, I, hijack-
3: and and i totally and i totally get that point and i don't and this is the current situation that we're in has definitely evolved over the last few decades and i do think that you have the 24-hour news cycle social media facebook twitter instagram and all that stuff to blame for the contribution to this outrage type of culture because before you know you got A newspaper once a day, and that's where you got your news, and you read an article, you can distill that information and come to some sort of informed opinion about it. But if you go on Twitter, and you see a trending hashtag, and you just read tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet, that is all towards the the same thing towards the, you know, eliciting some sort of emotional response, you Mm -hmm. quickly, very quickly become overwhelmed, because there's no Delineation from the time when you make your emotional response to when you can make some sort of logical, informed response to it, because you're in in the world that we live in today. The dominating news cycle, or the trending hashtag, or the thing that's got the most shares on Facebook is the thing that you see over and over and over again. Well, maybe it's a maybe maybe
0: it's a time thing too. Maybe people just don't have enough time because you get you know when you think about it, when you get uh, when your emotions get riled up or whether, again, whether it be good or bad, usually before you are able to get back to baseline, it takes time, right? You have to kind of step away and you have to give yourself some time to think about the situation. So if you're constantly being bombarded with outrageous headlines from all different aspects of social media or whatever wherever you get your news, uh, and you're constantly looking at it, I don't know if you'd ever have a time to get out of that excited state uh, to actually begin to make better decision well, I mean be able to have access to your higher mind because the emotions
3: would be so riled up well, moreover so it takes time it takes time to get all the information and all the facts, and we're already so predisposed to coming to conclusions immediately and then sticking to those conclusions because we never want to believe that the conclusions that we had are wrong, so that immediately makes. That immediately makes re-evaluation impossible for most people. So we're evaluating the information that we first receive, and that information is always incomplete, very far from the truth, and always presented in a way that is meant to elicit an emotional response. And the people that you follow on Twitter, the people you follow on Instagram are going to present these things in drastically different ways. in all of our social media we've created echo chambers for ourselves right so we are very likely to follow people who agree with us who share the same opinions and this is true whether or not you're on instagram or facebook or or twitter you're very unlikely to be getting sort of different perspectives from multiple people from which you can ultimately draw conclusions so when you've built that echo chamber where any thought that you put out there is going to immediately be accepted and sort of echoed, you do have some sort of lack of accountability when you're posting, but when you're receiving that information, also you're receiving that same tidbit of information presented in the same way from 100 different people. So you're very unlikely to ever arrive at a conclusion that isn't that conclusion that's been presented to you. And I do think that part of it is laziness, like you mentioned before, people aren't gonna go out and they aren't gonna research other sources. And then the other part of it is people actually believe that they're informed. People actually believe that they're getting all of the information because they think that, you know, they're reading. They think that they're, you know, looking at all these different tweets. They think they're hearing opinions from different people. But when the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle, right, like 50-50. If you're eighty-five to one side, you're you're never going to get those like mediating thirty-five percent of the opinion that'll it's bring you sure Yeah, right.
0: I, yeah. I don't think anyone's ever going to be a perfect fifty-fifty. I mean, it's going to be as long as you remain somewhere in the realm of reason, right? <laughs> you know,
3: a hundred percent. But yeah. I'm not saying I'm. I'm just saying that a hundred percent or eighty-five percent of their information all comes from you know one side, and yep. then ten percent will be from more moderate of that side. And then only 5% probably is actually presenting some sort of, you know, antithetical type of information that's not already coming in and supporting previously held hypotheses. So we're all subject to, you know, this confirmation bias where we all go out, develop opinions in our heads, and then we sort of look for the sources that are going to back up our opinions. But then also we're, you know, emotional beings who form an emotional response. And we've just sort of, we sort of live in this culture where it's very in vogue right now to socially, you know, to socially drag people across the coals. If they've said something or done something and we don't have all the information, but we see, you know, oh, this person, you know, did this, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. We don't know the context. We have no idea what's going on, but we form that emotional response. And, we say, oh, wow, those people, you know, we're writing them off, we're canceling them to sort of bring in cancel culture. So somebody does something wrong. And it's just immediately, you know, we've written them off, regardless of the context, regardless of the other information. And, you know, that's just, that's, that's where we are right now.
1: I think going back to your, your tweet example, you gave a lot, uh, a while ago about, uh, you know, unwanted mothers murder 6,000 babies, right? So something like that, it does two things. And um, I think the outrage culture, the word culture really fits well because when you put something like that out into the void of social media, the first thing it does is it draws all the people who agree with you, some some dissent, right? Um, but you get all these people who agree with you pulling into one place and it becomes this self-reaffirming
3: thing. validation. Yeah,
1: It's validating. You know, people are saying, yeah, I agree with this. This makes me mad too, whatever. The second thing it does is it's, it's a trap for anybody who would try to dissent so you use the the loaded language and it's like a it's like a thought terminating thought terminating cliche fallacy so you use the the murder you know murder 6000 babies and then somebody comes in there saying well you know they're pro choice or whatever and now you've trapped them so you can say oh so you just support murder right mm-hmm. so you've you've loaded the deck to not have a discussion about it you've just terminated it you, you don't want a nuanced discussion you just put these morally powerful words in there to prevent that um
3: yeah because the moment somebody with a dissenting opinion comments on that post they get dragged right by everybody else they pile on by the echo chamber that you've established so anybody comes on with a different sort of point of view they're immediately going to be told they're a fool they're ignorant they're not well educated like any of these sorts of things which again is a emotional sort of attack that you're bringing on that person because you're not attacking, you know, necessarily their point of view. You're attacking who they are as a, as a person, which again sort of brings us very far away from where we should be, which is a civil discourse where we can have a conversation about the differing opinions that we have sort of discount certain things, agree on others and move forward to just, I'm entrenched in my position, you're entrenched in yours if you don't agree with me, you know, you're you're a fool, you're ignorant, you're, you know, this, that, and the other, yeah.
2: I mean, from, for, again, from a more physiological point of view, so that's how I'm gonna look at this, I think the laziness thing is a big, uh, I think it unlocks a, a lot of understanding of this, okay? Because I, okay, I, I, I got to this conclusion because I wanted to disagree with you, John, when you said, um, when you said you can't be in a state of intense emotion and make a logical decision. Um, because now it's been close to a hundred days where I, I've, I've consciously taken time out to meditate, if not just one, several times a day. And so I think the delineation comes from unconscious emotion versus consciously guiding your emotion. Now, now the latter being, imagine being really upset or being not, or having health issues and having pain or something. And then trying to guide through your thoughts and through your irrational mind yourself to a place of, of feeling gratitude, of feeling like really grateful and really happy and really euphoric. I've gotten to those places before and I've, I've been able to figure out things in my life feeling that way. And I think a lot of people would be like, okay, you could probably make a rational you know, um, um, decision, uh, perhaps even a good decision for your life in those moments of extreme euphoria, sober meditating, right? Um, but that's different because I had to. I don't just sit down and reach that place. I, I deliberately get there, and over the last, doing it every single day, I've gotten better at it. And I, I argue if people did that and and were more emotional, and we're like, oh, I'm going to use my thoughts. Like, what am I grateful for? what are people I love? Whatever, you know, to reach a place of gratitude, then we could use our emotions. But but the opposite of this is what we're seeing. The opposite of those emotions, those higher vibration emotions, are. Our, our visceral anger, uh, jealousy, hatred, and that's really easy to tap into. It's lazy. It's lazy because it's harder to get people to, to be conscious and to, be, to have an elevated conversation, you know, um, that it maybe has a more colorful gradient of emotions, maybe some compassion and gratitude, but maybe some heat and tension as well because that's part of the human experience. But it's not about that. With this type of content, this type of media, it's all about immediately dissol- devolving to the lowest common denominator, and how can we, uh, how can we stoke the most emotion and the most anger, and and get the most people? And that's lazy. That's lazy capitalism. That's lazy uh, marketing. That's lazy communication. And that's a disservice to mankind and everybody. Uh, so I think that's the that's the two things.
0: Yeah, I, I think to, uh, well, with the distinction there between you know, talking about emotions and you know, guided emotions. Not it's not you just being outraged and being overcome by your emotions, but right. you trying right. to work work through your emotions, trying to understand them. So, when you're with that process of working through and trying to understand your emotions, that it's not you being overcome by the limbic system in your mind. That's you engaging your limbic system with your higher mind, in my opinion.
2: True. I guess. I guess yeah. I was going to say I still feel intense emotion at times, though. Yeah. but they're positive. So your yeah, we're, but your
0: your your ability to concentrate on them, to understand them, to work through them, that takes time. That's not just you. Right. It's yeah, not that's that. not what. That's not what we're talking about. It's right. uh, right. a different right. scenario. But but I default,
2: think that distinction helps explain what we're helps yeah. explain the topic overall. Is that yeah? It's become lazy, and it's become a way to just tap into that that biological mechanism that fight or flight that's not tapping into our higher consciousness and having an elevated discussion it's tapping into something that we just know will will it you know give it's instant gratification that's the term of gratification and and that's bad so that's my argument
3: okay i just think that you know so much of our thought processes have you know become mechanized and um that's definitely to our detriment but it's just like a elicits response B, which you know elicits action C, and um, you know that's just that's just sort of you know where we are right now. We've developed that sort of codified response to the to the actions that we that we have, um, which is you know, like we've said before, sort of antithetical to to any sort of discourse that we could have. and it's just like when you have that response and your immediate response is anger that brings about the, you know, real death of empathy or being able to understand where other people are coming from, understanding other people's experiences, understanding other people's lives, and, you know, ultimately trying to, you know, figure out how we can how we can sort of move forward. And, uh, you know, with the death of empathy, I think ultimately comes also the death of civility, which is sort of like its next door neighbor. And that's why you ultimately see you know, a simple, you know, Facebook post or a meme or something like that devolving into, you know, sort of this rabid shouting match between two different sides. It's because we, we have no empathy for other people. And when we have no empathy, we have no civility.
0: Yeah, the, the, the online discourses, and I've engaged in a number of them, and it's shocking how quickly people just will go off the rails. Sometimes it depends on the person. Um, it depends on the topic. I mean, I've had a number of wonderful conversations too, uh, but I mean, it's really, really unfortunate. The civility has just kind of gone out the window. And, you know, you're talking about these echo chambers and then just getting dragged through the coals earlier, Pat. If you have a dissenting view, uh, I mean, an example for me comes to mind where I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan. I love his show, um, The Joe Rogan Experience. Uh, I think it's a fantastic podcast. And he had on the creator of the. The ocean plastic cleanup. He created something. I can't remember his name. He has a really unusual name. Or I'm sorry, unusual, and it's different. But uh, he had created this system that cleans up plastic in the ocean. And he had done, had him on the podcast. And there was a post on Facebook about it. And then all in the comments, I see people disparaging Greta Thunberg and the work that she was doing to try to bring awareness to global warming and then praising uh, this young man saying, well, he's going out there and he's doing something and actually making a difference in the world. He created something. And my argument was he's addressing plastic in the ocean, Greta Thunberg's uh, addressing global warming. These are separate issues. Um, There's no reason why you can't work on these simultaneously. They're both very important environmental issues. And because... As far as uh, what Greta hasn't, she hasn't created anything, but she's helping to bring awareness to it because the biggest change needs to come on a systemic, like governmental level. So only through governmental change uh, will we begin to really make an impact on global warming. It's not anything that she can like go out and personally create herself. We have a number of wonderful technologies already. But anyway, I was just trying to make this delineation. I was saying, Hey, you're getting it all wrong. It's really disheartening. And I just got shredded. I got blasted. I had people direct uh, messaging me, you know, calling me all sorts of names. It was just, it was really, really disheartening. And it's all I was trying to do was to say, Hey, you really shouldn't be so harsh on Greta. She's bringing light to a completely separate issue.
3: <laughs>
2: that was yeah, it. Yeah.
3: Well, you, you bring up a a great point and that's, of the point of false equivalencies, right? So it's, it's, you know, Greta has been, you know, dragged over the coals, you know, by all the right-wing media outlets, right-wing politicians, up from, you know, the Trump administration, all the way down. So you have that one side of it, and then you say, you know, in the similar, you know, same breath, like, oh, environment then it's like everybody's already got this, such a negative opinion of Greta that they go out and they say, oh, I'm going to use this other piece of information to justify why Greta is bad and other people are good. And this happens all the time. So I, I imagine that there's also, you know, underlying issues of sexism, ageism, like all those other sorts of things uh, as well, it, you know, nativism and ethnocentrism and like all these other sorts of things, why people hate Greta. All these
0: isms, yeah.
3: yeah. All the isms. But there's definitely like, oh, you know, I got this underlying baseline hate for this person and I'm going to use this other piece of information to justify why I hate them and, you know, sort of support these these other people instead. Oh,
2: it's, so. it's ripe with logical fallacies, for 100%. sure. 100%. Uh, this phenomenon, there's there's so many. It, it might spend the majority of them. Uh, You know, but I think it speaks to something larger too. Like, there's something I think about sometimes. It's like, at what point in our education or in the way people are being brought up, are we not taught to like, be okay with being wrong? I guess is like a really interesting thing, you know? I I guess, like, when did that happen? You know, like, when was it so bad for you to be wrong about something when that's so human. testing, you know.
0: Maybe, maybe, maybe testing, maybe testing is what did it because we just put an over emphasis on you know being right on the tests and. For what? Yeah. You know,
2: what, what testing in general? What? Like like what testing growing bro- 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 yeah, like standardized bro- testing. Bro- standardized I mean, it's all about yeah, it's all
0: about testing.
2: testing. Yeah, for sure, standardized testing is a huge disservice and one of the one of the worst elements. Of, of the public education system you know uh, i tutored kids in standardized testing all the time and the first thing i always tell them is has nothing to do with anything except your ability to take the stats doesn't speak to any any other part of your character your ability to do anything you know <laughs> it's, uh, could... it's
3: got to be bigger than that though like there's got to be some sort of fundamental cultural resistance to being wrong like i don't think it's just like i don't think that there's no oh, no, right. no no i'm not I mean, i'm not i'm not saying i wasn't saying yeah.
0: that standardized testing I, is the silver I, I bullet know. and we fixed I, that i mean i'm sure I, it's probably
3: multifaceted but i, I get anyway, it but yeah. it's just like i don't think that you know we can arrive at a conclusion on that but there's got to be there's got to be some other sort of sort of situation guess, like an interesting study.
1: It, it probably goes all the way back to the greeks or earlier with the sophists You know, as soon as you're charging money for information, you have to make sure that you're at least giving information that's not going to be corrected because then you're on the line for the money you've earned teaching somebody. So that's kind of my guess.
2: I think it's it's probably deeper than that, too. I think it probably has some evolutionary basis just because people have become so uh, attached to what makes us different. From each other you know like there's no biological basis for race literally nope. there is there is no genetic it's not like there's this this range of genes or profile that's like for a black person and then it changes as you move across the globe right but so that's just one really stark example of how we use these constructs to separate ourselves from each other and then so when we feel that separation we need to validate that and then so we we've been using more and more examples increasingly absurd from everyday life to validate that since I'm different from you, now I must be better than you in these ways. So I must be right, more right than you. I must. And, and then we become to feel really defensive. And it's like, it's like, no, dude, just because I don't hold the same view as you doesn't mean I'm trying to attack your fundamental character. It's like, so is it
3: is it then a power dynamic, which I think is, you know, an interesting perspective. So is it, we must be more right than wrong in order to attain the most power. And because um, I think that that's something that's sort of undeniable in society is the ultimate goal of, you know, every individual, you know, power, as wealth.
2: A, other as, a sort scientist, of that. as a scientist, the one thing I learned is like, whatever I believe today could be just proven 10 years from now, you know, like there, yeah. obviously there's a gradient of like how sturdy some data is compared to other data for sure you know, uh, like, like gravity is pretty reliable. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure if I drop my phone tomorrow, it's still gonna fall, you know, um, well, there's
3: one thing that's certainly indisputable. And that's that outrage. And all of the other, you know, subsequent things that we've talked about are definitely antithetical to the scientific method. There's no yeah. sort of evaluation. There's no hypothesis testing, there's no experimentation, there's no willingness to look at other facts. It is judgment yeah it is at its very fundamental core a judgment call that is you know sort of the exact opposite of what you would hope to see in any sort of scientific measure uh so yeah that that's definitely very very true
0: so one thing uh one thing i wanted to say real quick because i was thinking further about the why why it's so hard for people to be wrong and what exactly are the origins it's probably multifaceted uh, the the answer to that may actually be evolutionary uh, because of, I'm sure you're all familiar with the phenomenon of cognitive dissonance, which is the emotional, the uneasiness that you feel whenever you have your uh, belief systems challenged because right. humans really, really want to be consistent. Uh, and that is something that we all feel on like a primal level. That is something that is instinctual. Uh, uh, it's obviously something that you can work through because once you're aware of it, then you can figure out when it's getting the best of you. But being, being right uh, is probably, it, it might be evolutionary, that, that strong desire to be correct all the time. Uh, and, to be and ha- maybe, maybe it has, maybe it has, I mean, if, it's, if it's evolutionary, that means that, it, that there's some sort of advantage to it, right? Uh, but obviously it has disadvantages in today's modern society and that it's a disservice if you don't recognize this and admit that it's okay to be wrong because you can't be right all the time. Well, I yeah. mean, you you, you, you want to try to be as correct as possible, but it's okay to be wrong and you have to update it based off of new information. But as far as the origins of it, I mean, it may be just a fundamental aspect of human nature.
2: I think the thing book Sapiens talks about, you know, just this leap in evolution we've made and how we have a lot of uh, physiological psychological evolutionary framework that hasn't been able to update uh, yeah. at, the, at the pace we've evolved you know so it's like yeah you need to be right when you're like hey there's a mountain lion over there so if you're going <laughs> to go over there to go hunting watch the fuck out or you're going to get eaten like that's really beneficial because then someone dies if you're wrong and then that has huge implications for your tribe and it's just a mess right um but but it's like now we're we're judging we're making snap judgments on on really especially when it comes to videos okay it's like the first five seconds comes out and there's a whole public wave of opinion and then it's almost like it's planned that way it's like then the next 10 seconds comes out and then it's a whole nother and then the and then the whole minute video is released you know and it's like it's like well we've already been judged during execution or a thousand different times you know from the first moment we saw the first clip or the first little bit of information was out there and and this goes even further, it's a weaponized disinformation. Uh, uh, weaponized information, weaponized disinformation, yeah. Campaigns, you know, it's like, they know they're gonna elicit an emotional response for you. And I mean, come on, you can swing elections this way. You, you can, it, it's got immense power, you know, uh, and people don't realize that. And I think that's, if anything gets taken away from this conversation, I hope it's that. It's like, I hope people are like, oh, like the way I react to something, you know, like uh, especially on, like when it comes to social media and then the, how that affects your perception of things, like that holds some power. You know? I think people just feel like maybe just disenfranchised, disempowered, and they just like let their energy just run chaotically, you know, and like they're not mindful about things, and and things like social media and stuff really feed into that, you know. I mean, no, yeah, like, like uh, Patrick brought up a good point, you had a newspaper once a day. Now it's like you can read a thousand newspapers just scrolling through your phone and you don't even open the article. You just read the headlines and then you have an emotional reaction about the headline and you move on to the next headline. It's like, what yeah. kind of way is that to consume information? Your brain wasn't created to consume information that way. It's chaos. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, I, think, uh, I, think, I think this is an example of that. This is an example of that that dissonance uh, um, from the fact that we haven't updated our software and our programming to match the reality that we've kind of created for ourselves and society we've built, you know so so and and so when we when we have examples of phenomenon like outrage culture and it's an example of us regressing to the animal like instinct in the context of current situation and, and it creates a lot of dissonance, which is why we're having this conversation. It creates kind of chaos you know?
3: That's my I think that there's got to be you know something about. I think that, so I have two points. I think that one, um, you want to be right because you want to be accepted, right? You want to maintain the, you want to maintain the opinions of your tribe or your faction or your echo chamber or whatever it may be, because to have a divergent opinion ultimately means exile from that group, right? And then you've got to start over. So I think that that's a, a survival evolutionary mechanism right there. And then I, my second point is, I think that people are ultimately very, get very apathetic and get very comfortable with the status quo. Digesting new ideas, new information is, you know, very difficult and challenging, not just, you know, in its level of difficulty, but challenging to your fundamental core beliefs that you've probably held for your entire life. Um, And your parents held before you and their parents held before them, but when we were, you know, challenging, you know, the the uh, the earth is the center of the universe, the geocentric theory, like and moving to like the heliocentric theory, you know, at Galileo was exiled. You know, he had, you know, solid science, but, you know, nobody wanted to listen to it. And the church ultimately did not want to have their, you know, ideas challenged. And, you know, you see that, you know, throughout history by all of the institutions that are in power. And that sort of relates back to, you know, the maintenance of power and achieving power, attaining power. Um, The people who have it want to stay in it, right? So they're going to do whatever they have to do to maintain that power. And ultimately that leads to a disregard or a, you know, deliberate sort of manipulation of fact and reason. So their paradigm or their status quo isn't going to be shifted into something that's new. So I think that that can't be discounted either.
0: Yeah, I think you made a great point about humans wanting to just fit in. Um, That is a very, very strong thing that all people want to do, is to fit in with a group. Um, Because, you know, from a survival standpoint and just from just a mental health standpoint, uh, from an evolutionary, from an evolution as well, uh, yeah, I mean, you want to fit in, right? I mean, there's, (laughs) and, it's, it's important to belong. So in order to just kind of keep the peace within the group, so to speak, you kind of see, so you, you identify with the group, right? And then you kind of adopt the group's norms, the philosophies, the ethos, or whatever you want to call it, of the group. And then if you, as you said, Pat, all of a sudden you are challenging group norms, that can be very, very bad for you as an individual. You could be ousted. And then if you're forced to survive on your own, I'm not talking about in today's society, but let's say in the past, you're forced, uh, you're forced to survive on your own. Uh, that could lead to death, right? Uh, because you know, trying to survive in prehistoric, uh, prehistoric time with just by yourself outside of your uh, outside of your group, uh, that could be very that could be very bad for you. So that's a really really interesting even, point.
3: But e- even today, it's not you know maybe literal death, but I mean there are You cannot discount the emotional impact that isolation or exclusion from a group would have on an individual. And of course, is isn't going to lead to literal death, but, you know, emotional stunting, mental health issues, depression, all that sort of stuff.
0: Certainly in the immediate until they were able to work through it. And hopefully it wasn't so bad. I mean, for some people, they they take their own lives, which is awful. Uh, So it's quite literally when they are shunned from their groups or certain aspects of society and they feel so uh, despondent that they, that there's no way out, that they take their own life. I mean, that's, that's awful. Uh, but yeah, 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 definitely with the, uh, that still happens.
3: Yeah. And with the rapidity that, uh, social media moves at nowadays, I mean, you make, you make one mistake or you make one errant comment or something along those lines that gets taken out of context, gets posted about, and all of a sudden you get dragged, um, and then all of a sudden you're trending and then all of a sudden, you know, things are getting blown way out of proportion in a way that you never intended them to. I mean, so it seems like you've even got to be on guard about everything that you say at all points in time. It's like, what if I made a comment in this podcast that, you know, was taken or misinterpreted, but like different or in a, in a bad way, all of a sudden... The podcast has gone viral. intelligence speculation has gone viral. they're you know nitpicking everything else that we say for like more information and then you know it just gets posted about and you know constantly talked about and i can't even imagine the impact that that would have on an individual nowadays like being the subject of that rage of that you know outrage culture like seems like it would be a very overwhelming prospect uh, it, so- sound. sounds
0: it sounds yeah. terrible it, it sounds like a really really unpleasant experience. And we've all
3: experienced it. It's at at some level, like you said, with the Joe Rogan podcast, it's like, I'm, I'm off Facebook now, literally off Facebook, because I can't handle all of the all of the nonsense, all of the day to day, just outrage that you see, you know, from from everybody, you know, whether it's, you know, friends or family members, or, you know, other people that you know, or acquaintances, it's like, Oh, my God, how does that person believe this? It's like that I become enraged. I'm not susceptible and I'm certainly not perfect. And you know, I'm I'm sent suddenly sitting there like, how do I possibly separate the person who can post something like this from the person that I know? And how can we go on and proceed to continue to have that sort of relationship? It, it becomes very, very difficult to, to do, right? To separate the words of somebody on social media or the things that they post or the articles that they share and separating that from the person that you that you know them be can, can be oh yeah I difficult.
2: Mean, people draw huge uh huge character assassinations made uh de- just depending on your political beliefs i mean just come out right and say it like if someone says they in today's day and age uh if they believe in trump for example like that's enough to get people fired from their jobs. like if that's not like that wasn't the case during the Bush administration. That wasn't the case during any other administration in my lifetime. You couldn't just be like, like you know. And 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 is there a risk in me just saying this? Yeah, because this is this is the world we live in, you know. But if people aren't gonna have the courage to have fucking discourse, then like that's the greatest disservice to humanity. Like we were put on this earth with the ability to speak to each other, and like and like it's a really. Uh, um, novel thing i feel like it's a really a really human thing to have like a a debate about something and to exchange views and to like for people to to accept new premises and dissolve old constructs i think that's part that's really what makes us different from the beasts you know it's like we can do that we have that capacity of of consciousness um and and the fact that that's being threatened and people are not going to be as willing to engage in discourse at all because it's like, oh, I have all these things to lose. Like, is there, an, is that freedom of speech? If, is it, if there's a cost to your speech, is it still free speech? But then the other side of it becomes, well, free speech is clearly being blatantly abused you know, uh, and and people are just posting whatever the fuck, you know, to to elicit uh, an emotional response. So like everything in life, it's a really complicated balance, you know, Uh, but but I think the greater threat to freedom of speech is maybe uh, a a worthy discussion to have.
0: Yeah, no, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely nuance there, right? Uh, And, you know, it's interesting with outrage culture, where exactly do you draw the line? Right. Uh, when, uh, because you're going to get things across the spectrum and there are absolutely legitimate reasons for people to push back and be outraged, right? Uh, right. I mean, if somebody does something completely ridiculous off the wall, society shouldn't tolerate it, particularly somebody in power, and right. then they should be pushed back against to some degree. Now, I don't think that you know, they should be you know, completely publicly humiliated. You know, some of the degrees to what has happened to individuals in our society. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but there should definitely, definitely be a pushback and it shouldn't be, I wouldn't say it shouldn't be tolerated, but then the the outrage is definitely justified in my opinion. Uh, So it's difficult, right? You don't want to just get outraged at everything just because it's fashionable and, you know, it's something to do. It makes you feel good and works up the emotions and whatnot. Uh, But then there are legitimate reasons where you should actually be like, okay, well, I need to take a stand. I should probably say something because this is really ridiculous and society, society should do something about this.
3: But there's a clear delineation, right? So like there are situations in when you should be justifiably upset and express that opinion. But is there ever a situation where you hear the headline news blurb in 140 characters and see that retweeted over and over again, that you should immediately jump to a conclusion about that situation. And I would never do that with any
0: situation. I I would argue that
3: it's no, right? Like you still have this, you still have an obligation to take in all of the available information and arrive ultimately at a conclusion. And so that's what differentiates, I think outrage culture from you know, being justifiably upset or being outraged or holding somebody accountable, right? So outrage culture, I think there is this implicit, like, instantaneous gratification that you get from, you know, your, your outrage. But you need to separate that from, from a well thought out, you know, sort of perspective that you develop after taking in all of the available information. And at that point, then yes, you should express express your opinion. And I think that this has sort of been the, the amazing thing and the terrible thing about social media is that we have greater access to everybody at you know the the as fast as we can type on our keyboard, you know, and uh, we can hear all these different opinions. And it's an excellent mechanism to actually hold people accountable because you can distribute all of the all of the things that that person has done, like an error. Um, And um, yeah, but also, you know, we're incredibly susceptible to arriving at errant judgments based on limited information. So I guess that that's, you know, my, my, my point about it is uh, there are situations in which you, you should be, you should be outraged, but you should never arrive at that conclusion based on, that initial emotional response
0: to be informed, basically, be informed. is what you're saying. Is that be informed is the de- delineating factor between being caught up in outrage culture versus being legitimately outraged over something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. I'd say that's fair. I'd say that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when it comes to obviously thinking critically or critical thinking in general, uh, <coughs> one thing I would say definitely about you know any any of this outrage culture. And if you find yourself being swept up by it, uh, which is very easy to do, I mean, we're all guilty of it. I'm you know, all of us here, I've been guilty of it. I'm sure that you three have as well. <clears throat> and you know, you see it on a daily basis is that to just stop and think, right? I mean, I think the easiest thing to do is to, you know, if you see a tweet and it makes you angry, don't immediately re- retweet it, kind of dig a little bit further, separate yourself from it, and then kind of figure out, hey, I need to see what the full story is before I actually go and perhaps make some sort of or form an opinion on it myself and then go and propagate that opinion on social media
2: yeah whatever happened to don't send an email when you're angry you know and now we yeah just started, yeah don't uh,
0: send a tweet when you're like angry, an
2: angry <laughs> a tweet, you know like, yeah. that maybe millions and millions of people will see like well, where did that come from you know it's a big change in face.
3: yeah I can't even count the you know amount of times that I've heard like somebody's like oh I tweeted something and then it went viral and then it's like oh my god what did I do like I (laughs) have 50 followers and now I'm a a social pariah and what now what not now it's like whatever you do whatever actions you take in the in the day and age where everybody has equal access to information or maybe not necessarily equal but at least everybody in the United States with the wi-fi connection does you are going to be held accountable for absolutely everything you say for better or for worse. Cause I've said a lot of stu- stupid stuff, like a hundred percent. I can't imagine if future employers took the stupid stuff that I said when I was 18 years old into account, thank God, you know, Twitter, you know, wasn't a big thing when I was 18. So right. all of my opinions aren't like categorized and quantified and cataloged where somebody can go in like, Rift through them or whatever but it's like we've got a we've got a responsibility as adults not to tweet things or distribute things that are you know going to be you know induce that sort of response but we've also got to you know teach our children and the you know the younger generation that everything you do has consequences and uh, I mean that's like I said for better or for worse but yeah, I, I don't know. So we've just got these varying degrees of, of accountability in, in society, like predating this current paradigm, like we would have had varying degrees of, you know, what's acceptable and everything like that. But it would be, you know, kept between a few, a group of a few people where now everything that you say is going to be distributed to, you know, an unlimited amount of people. Scary kind of to think about.
0: Yeah, having access to the internet is a wonderful thing, right? We've, we've talked about this before. You have access to all of this information and all of these new social networks that you never, you can reach people that you, you never could even imagine of reaching before in the past. And it's wonderful. There's so many wonderful positives to it. But then there's this darker side. And one of those things is outrage culture. Um, and, you know, then the... Propagation of misinformation, conspiracy theories, and all of that as well. But yeah, definitely the outrage culture, I think, is something that people really, really need to look at heart as a society and ask ourselves what it is that we're doing. And that it's okay to have a formed position of outrage, but engaging in actual outrage culture of where you just get kind of whipped up and then you're making decisions on the fly about spreading information just because it makes you feel good in the moment like that's just i don't i that is a that is that is a detriment to society uh in my opinion we're doing
2: it i think it speaks to the value of thinking critically and it might be a good uh you know note to tie it together on um but yeah i think it just speaks to the value of like we're taught how to do certain things like math or science and then but we're not taught how to do things in today's age like how to consume media uh consciously right and like we don't realize i don't think we realize the impact that the media has on us and the way we consume it if we're really mindless about the way we consume it and it's going to unconsciously have a big impact on us but if we can learn how to be critical and about the way we approach information in general you know and 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 even beyond that we just talked about a really fundamental thing about not just being less reactive you know if you're in a situation with someone else and you're getting heated and you're getting angry like obviously the better the it's it's indisputable in that moment the better thing to do is to try and take a step back and breathe and then approach the situation again that should be your response when not just when you're with someone else and you have that emotion, because that that it's not about the other person. It's about the emotional reactions happening inside you in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So so it can be from a tweet, it can be from a headline, it can be from anything. And then if you're just gonna res, like like regurgitate that toxicity out into the world with your little megaphone on Twitter or whatever, you know, then like then like what are you doing? Like what what are you doing for yourself? And then and then not, and then what are you doing for other people? it's like misery loves company you know like that's really all that gets at um, and so yeah I think people should just learn to be more conscious and mindful about the way they approach information they should they should be conscious about how, how they uh, approach it you know and, and when and just like and not just let it get the better of them you know um, because it can and it does and it will if we don't do better so that's
3: we can never control what others are going to put out there, what others are going to say, what others are going to do, or they, what are they're going to think, but we can always control how we're going to react and what we distribute and what we believe. So that's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on being better digesters of information, better at coming to conclusions and ultimately just better people, better listeners. And um, yeah, I think that that is a, it's a good point to, uh, sort of, you know, tie it all together, like you guys have been saying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's probably a good uh, good spot to stop. Uh, unless, Garrett, did you have anything that you wanted to add at the end? Otherwise, I'll just go ahead. Yeah? Everything sounds good? Everything sounds good? All right, wonderful. Anyway, for all of those, uh, those of you that have tuned in to listen and to watch, and or watch, uh, thank you so much. Stay tuned for more great content in the future. We certainly appreciate you, and take care, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Final Stretch Media. They gave me a voice. They turned my ideas into high-quality audio and video content. With their professional team, equipment, and expertise, they record, edit, and provide video and audio. Final Stretch Media has done a fantastic job with everything video and audio-related for me. So if you ever find yourself in the need, uh, you can find their information in the show notes. This podcast is also brought to you by Quickly Brain Racers, the first-ever live racing competition for the brain. Download their app and play live this weekend on an iOS device against the world. I have raced and it's really, really cool. If you are in the top 10, you have a chance to win money. So definitely check them out. You can find the link to the app in the show notes.